Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to continue our series on emotionally healthy spirituality here at the Vineyard. And here's why we're doing this series. Uh, we're doing this series because one of the things that we're discovering is that it's impossible to be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. We just keep saying that over and over in every message. It's impossibly, impossible to be someone who's spiritually mature, but emotionally immature. And how many of you know that you can be 43 years old chronologically like me, but you can be an emotional adolescent? Anybody identify? Anybody work with somebody like that? You know, you don't want to put your own hand up. You're like, I'll raise my hand for that other guy I work with. <laughs> but yeah, it's actually true. Just because you're advancing in chronological years, it doesn't mean that you're growing up emotionally. And if there's this area in our life that's stunted, it will actually keep us from being like Jesus. And here at the Vineyard, we have one primary goal. It is to be like Jesus in the heart like reflexively, to be able to love and serve people without gritted teeth. This is the image I keep coming back to, to be able to like love our community, to be able to love Campbellsville, to be able to love our family, and to be able to do it without gritted teeth, to be able to go, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing now, and I'm not even going to have to like clench my jaw to get it done, but I'm going to be like the Lord Jesus. Well, if we're going to do that, it means we have to grow up emotionally, and so we've been doing this little study for the last five weeks. And we've been walking through this book. I hope you have this book. I hope you have this book. If you don't, it's not too late. Go ahead and order it. Uh, and uh, just go ahead and start reading it. Or it's on Audible. Listen to it while you drive to work. It will really help you. It's filled with like little tools that will help you just become a more emotionally mature and advanced person. And that will actually play into your spiritual life as well. Uh, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about the last chapter in this book, which is about developing a rule of life. Somebody in the house say rule of life. Anybody ever heard of that before? Who here is? Ray has, uh, Grant has, Alicia has, just no one else. There's four people who have. This is going to be great. Uh, this is going to be really fun. But before we get into that, I, I want to do a little thought experiment with you. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that we all live in Taylor County, Campbellsville, Greensburg, you know, central Kentucky, like we do. I want you to imagine like everything's normal just the way it is. But here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that none of the farmers has any fences for their cattle. Everything else is the same, but I want you to imagine that there are no fences and that cattle just do what? They just run around everywhere. Somebody, somebody in the house... Tell me what would happen if everything else in life was normal, but the cattle were not fenced in. What would happen? Joseph, more car accidents. Who, who believes Joe is right? Who, who here has ever hit a deer? Anybody ever hit a deer? Now imagine hitting a bull. Yeah, right? What else would happen if there were no fences? You got to talk loud here, guys. Your dog would be everywhere, right? Yeah, right? Like, because dogs just want to herd things, don't they? Like their instincts, they're just like, we got to get this together. Yeah. 
Our animals would go nuts. Other animals would begin to go nuts. Yeah, what else would happen? I'm sorry? Animal services. We, I don't even know if we have a dog catcher in town anymore, right? I don't know. What were you saying, Wendy? There'd be a lot of poop everywhere. There'd be a lot of poop everywhere. That was in my notes, actually. Good job. Yeah, you wouldn't just have to worry about dogs. You have to worry about cattle, right? Like, oh, and what else? Maybe, maybe one more. Your, why would your kids go crazy? They'd be scared. Like, yeah, you'd, you'd wake up, you'd be like, I'm just going to get on the swing set and there's a bull. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, let me, let me just throw this other one out there. How many of you know that it would be worse for the cattle? We've mostly been thinking about us. How many of you know it would be worse for the cattle as well, right? Like if you're a farmer, one of the reasons you have a fence is so that you can go keep your cattle kind of like located in an area. And if they're located in an area, then you can go out and check on them, right? Because the farmer cares about his cattle, Right? Yeah, well, okay, what am, I, what am I talking about in this little thought experiment? Here's, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fences. I'm talking about boundaries. And I'm really talking about this word constraint. Everybody in the house say constraint. Constraint. Like, listen, if there's anything we hate as Americans, it's the word constraint. We hate the word constraint because deep inside of our cultural bones is the word what? Free. I didn't even have to tell you what it was. You know what it is. Because inside, we're all William Wallace, aren't we? We're all just individual brave hearts. We just get up every morning and we yell freedom, you know? And we hate the word constraint. Okay, well, here's what I'd like you to do this morning. Take the word constraint, set it aside, and let me give you another word that's the same word for constraint, but maybe one that's more appealing to us as Americans, okay? It's the word vision, it's the word vision. If you have a vision for your life, if you have a goal for your life, it will require constraint. Because how many of you know this, that every time you give your yes to something, you're actually saying no in a billion other ways. If you really give a yes, right? Like think about being married. Uh, Heaven, I've been married for over 22 years. Uh, and when I gave my yes to her, it was a no to everyone else, Right? Right. Like this is the way it is in life, especially with those things that have gravity to them. If you have a vision for your life, if you have a goal for your life, uh, if you can really say that I've given my yes to something, what you've simultaneously done is you've given your no to so many other things. And in order to be able to maintain that yes, it will require that we constrain our lives in certain ways. It will require that we live within a certain boundary. And that boundary isn't bad. It's like, it's like putting boundary around a herd of cattle. It keeps the, the cattle safe. It keeps the other people safe. It keeps people from taking their SUVs and running into bulls, right? It keeps kids on the playground unafraid. Isn't that right, Maria? Is that what you were telling me? Yeah. It, it, keeps, it keeps the cattle herd themselves healthy and thriving. Why? Because there's some kind of goal. There's some kind of constraint. There's some kind of vision. And I just want to say this morning to you, this is what we need. We need something in our life that we're giving our yes to. Now here at the vineyard, the thing that we're giving our yes to, hopefully, is that this is a room full of people who are learning how to say yes to God. That's really what we want to do. We want to say, you know what? I want every part of my life touched by an awareness of God 
and touched by the goal to be like Jesus. Now, that may not be true for everybody in the room this morning, but if you keep coming here, I hope you pick that up and it becomes a part of your life goal. And in chapter eight uh, of our little book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Spirituality, uh, author Pete Scorsese, I like to call him Pete, Uncle Pete. He talks about developing a rule of life. And I just want to say a couple things about developing a rule of life. First thing I want to say is this is not a new concept. It may be new to us in the room, but this is, this is an ancient Christian concept. Like Christian communities have been developing a rule of life or living inside of a rule of life for hundreds, yes, even thousands of years. So right after Jesus and the apostles, if you do some church history stuff, the next little season is this little moment in the church called the Desert Fathers. Who's ever heard of Desert Fathers? Anybody ever read the Desert Fathers? I'd encourage you to do so. Like even from the very beginning in Christian literature, the Desert Fathers would develop a rule of life. Now they may not call it that, but they would develop this way of doing the Jesus thing. And that's what they would do. Uh, Also, maybe a little bit closer to home here, just 35 miles away from here, uh, there is a monastery. Uh, How many of you have ever been to the Abbey at Gethsemane? Okay, maybe a third of the room. Uh, I would encourage everybody in the room at some point, especially like in the next two months, because we're about to enter that holiday season and you'll have some time off and whatnot. Maybe take an afternoon and drive to the Abbey at Gethsemane and see the Trappist monks who live there. Uh, They've been living on this 3,000-acre piece of property in Nelson County for over 160 years, and here's what they do. They work every day, they pray, and that's it. And they have a rule of life. They They have a Trappist rule of life that gives structure and gives boundaries and gives a way of being for them to do the Jesus thing in this world. And it's profound. When you go there, you feel it. You walk into that chapel where they pray every day, where they recite the Psalms and where they sing, and you can feel it. It's, there's a weighty presence there because it's, it's an incredible thing to come into the presence of people who have said, I will give my absolute life to this one thing. And it's a no to everything else. And you can feel that. And, and, and for me, as someone who sometimes feels pulled in a lot of ways, it's, it's really, it's inspiring and it's challenging. How many of you feel pulled in a lot of different ways, right? What is, what is that telling us? Part of what it's telling us is I need, I need some kind of rule. I need some kind of way of being. I need some boundaries. I need a fence. I need a structure. I need a trellis that I can build my life on. Let me talk to you about trellises for a moment. By the way, this morning's message is just, it's just a million metaphors, Okay. We started talking about cattle and fences. Now I want to talk to you about trellises. Um, on my farm, we have about eight acres of wine grapes, and every single grape is trellised. Everybody, know, everybody here know what a trellis is? It's like the posts and the wire, right? Uh, here's what's interesting. Um, vines absolutely must have that trellis. If you don't give them a trellis, they will grow. They will even produce fruit. But what will happen is, is that vine will lay on the ground. And because it's on the ground, the fruit will become vulnerable to two things, rot and pests. But if you get the vines trained up to the trellis and to the wire, then the canopy goes up. It gets more sunlight. It gives that plant more power 
to actually produce energy to ripen the grapes. And if the grapes are off the ground, then the rot and the mold and the mildew do not get on the grapes and it gets it away from the bugs. And all of a sudden you will end up with a harvest. Now, let me tell you another word for the word trellis, discipline, training. Like the vines, they they don't just naturally grow on the trellis. You actually have to take them up and tie them to the trellis. And then once the, once the shoots come up out of the main vines, all of the green stuff, you actually have to tuck it into the wire. And this is how often we have to tuck the canopy into the wire. Every single year. Every single year. But if you want to have a harvest in your life, you will need a trellis. How many of you want to have a harvest? How many of you, at the end of your life, you want to say, you know what? I produced the fruit that God put me on the earth to produce. I think that's most of us, you know? Here's what you'll need. You'll need a fence in your life. You'll need a trellis. You'll need some guiding principle. And that's called a rule of life. A rule of life is an intentional intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. I want to tell you about one guy maybe in the scripture who had a rule of life. That'd be Daniel. Everybody remember Daniel? I'll just quickly go through this. Uh, Daniel was a young boy when Israel was carried off to Babylon. So Israel had another country came in, took over, took everybody into Babylon, and they mostly kept the most promising people, of which Daniel was one of them. And when Daniel was taken to Babylon, he was given a new name. His Jewish name was erased. He was given a Babylonian name. He was taught Babylonian language. He was taught Babylonian math. He was taught Babylonian culture. And why was Daniel taught Babylonian math, culture, and language. And why did he get a new name that wasn't his Jewish-Israeli name? Why? It's to erase that other culture, right? It's just about complete erasure. That's what it was about. But Daniel, how many of y'all remember the, the story of Daniel? In the first chapter, Daniel goes to the guy who's like in charge of him, and he says, hey, I know we're doing this school thing, and okay, I'll go to the school, and you can call me the new name. But he says to him, here's what I would like to do. I would like to not eat the food that comes from the king's table. Do you guys remember this part of the story? And by the way, the food from the king's table is is the best food. It's like, this is the food the king and all of his his main people are eating. And Daniel's like, I don't want to eat that. And what Daniel was really saying as well is, I'm not going to eat the meat that comes from the king's table. Instead, here's what I want. I just want a few vegetables. That's it. I just want vegetables and water. And the guy who's in charge of Daniel's like, look, we're not doing this because in a few days you're going to look terrible. You're going to become weaker. And then my butt's going to be in the sling. And Daniel says, hey, let's do this. Let's do a short run. And if at the end of this short run, if I'm weaker, I'll do what you say. But if I'm better, you have to let me keep doing this, right? And that's exactly what happens. Daniel refuses the meat from the king's table. He eats only vegetables and drinks water. And at the end, he becomes more excellent physically than even the people who were sitting at the king's table. What is this? Like this is Daniel living by some other code, isn't it? And then if you get to Daniel chapter six, there's this moment, it's kind of a big drama moment. And in the drama, Daniel realizes, oh, I need to pray. Like something is, something's being pressed upon Daniel and Daniel goes to his house. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter six, verse 10, Seth, let's put that up. We'll, we'll just quickly show this. Uh, Daniel is under some pressure. He's like, I need to pray, but look at this. But when Daniel learned the law had been signed, we won't even go into all that. He went home and he knelt down as usual, underline that, uh, 
in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he, played, he prayed how many times a day? Three times a day. Look at this phrase, just as he always had done giving thanks to God. And, and what we're seeing here is that Daniel had a system. He had some fences. He had some trellises. He had something built in his life that was allowing his yes to be no's to other ways. And it kept him from being defiled by an outside culture that was pagan and against God. How many of you would like to be someone who at the end of your life is not defiled by American culture, but you could be pure in your heart to, towards God and be like Jesus? Yeah, you will need a trellis. You will need a system. You will need a rule of life. Okay, I just want to give you a quick outline, and I'm going to give you Uncle Pete's outline. This is straight from the book, and you can change this stuff. Uh, you can switch stuff. You can delete stuff. You can add other things. But here's the basic categories that one might want to consider when they're developing a rule of life. Seth, let's just start with the first one that's under prayer. Okay? So, so Pete Scorsese, he, he has a piece of his rule of life that he is sticking underneath this category of prayer. It's like a bigger category called prayer. And then underneath it, there are four things that he's taking into consideration. Scripture. Silence and solitude, daily office. That just means like, what are my daily prayers? And then study, right? You might even want to take a picture of this if you don't have the book. Here, here are four things that everybody in the room probably ought to consider. Like, how am I building this into my life? Like, can we say as vineyard people, I have a prayer life? Am I engaging the scriptures? You know, not just on Sunday morning when I put them on the slides, but like daily, am I engaging the scriptures? Uh, can I tell you something? I will never become like Jesus if I don't have engagement with the scriptures. It's not possible. No one becomes like Jesus on accident. No one falls down the stairs and stands up and is like Jesus. It doesn't happen, right? Like I need engagement with prayer. I need scripture. Uh, another category that we might want to think about is silence and solitude. Uh, do we ever have any silence and solitude in our life? Like on purpose, I'm setting this aside. Yeah, you, you might want to plan on that. And here's the other part. That silence and solitude, it could literally be three minutes a day. It could be five minutes twice a week. I will sit in absolute silence. I will lock the doors to my bedroom and I will only give my attention to the presence of God. I'm just going to sit here. I'm not going to say anything. There's, no, there's not even a prayer. It's just to be alone with God. I once went through a real dark night of the soul to the point where prayer was a real challenge for me. And the only way I could connect with who God was was to sit in silence before him. And my only prayer to God for two years was, it is enough to be here with you. That was my only prayer. And honestly, that's the prayer that saved my life. So here's what we might want to do. We might want to consider having a rule of life and you might want to take that prayer category and you might want to put scripture, silence, prayer, and study. And you may go, you know what? What are my goals and how might I engage with these things this week? And begin to just put a few details down underneath it. Okay, Seth, let's go to the next one. Your choice, Seth. Thank you. Next category, rest, rest. And under rest, Uncle Pete has Sabbath, simplicity, 
play and recreation. Uh, are we planning on rest in here? I hope we are. You and I cannot be healthy human beings. Like our emotions will not stay healthy if all we do is work, 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 work. Now, here's the other side of that. If, if, if you don't have something meaningful to give your life to, i.e. work, you also won't be healthy. You know, I mean, there's a reason it's six days on and one day off. You know, it's not six days off and one day on. The ratio actually matters. But rest is a big deal. Are we, are we, are we, are we considering, like, are we contemplating the role of rest? Are we planning, are we planning things like weekly rest into our schedule? Are we planning quarterly rest into our schedule? This is something Heather and I've learned to do uh, just since the pandemic. We have begun to plan quarterly, leave Campbellsville with our family, go to the mountains, uh, do not answer anyone's texts for any reason, unless their house is on fire or they are dead. <laughs> Everything else gets ignored so that, we might, so that we might just enjoy our life for a moment. So these are some categories you might want to look at. Sabbath, simplicity. Simplicity meaning like, what are the things that I can just get rid of? Like, is it a goal in your life to live a simple life? How many of you know the more things you have, the more things you're responsible for? Like, like it might be spiritually healthy for us to let go of some stuff, you know? You might, you might find your blood pressure goes down. Clean out a closet. Sell one of your cars you don't need anymore. Like whatever, just like reduce what you have. Like begin to live a smaller life with a smaller footprint, you know? Simplicity. Things like pr play and recreation. Uh, here's one of the things I've noticed in my life. If, if we don't plan play and recreation, we don't do it. Once you get to your, your mid-40s and you have a few kids, if you don't plan fun, you won't have any. It'll, you'll just be going to somebody's soccer game. They'll be having fun, and it'll be fun in brief spurts for you, but it's like all of a sudden your life is, is absorbed in this other thing, and this idea that like we are doing something fun gets evaporated. You have to plan it. Okay, Seth, let's go to the next one. Work and activity, so the opposite side, right? Like you need to plan for rest, but how many of you know it's good and right to know what it is you are called and put on this planet to do and to give yourself for? Like everyone here needs meaningful work. This is so essential. Everyone here needs meaningful work. And meaningful work doesn't mean that everybody here has to work at a nonprofit and, and save people off the streets. And God bless those people who do that, right? We want that. That might be you. If it is, we're going to get behind you and we're going to push, right? We love it. Cheer. But meaningful work might just mean the thing that you feel connected to, you know? It might mean working in the trades. It might mean uh, showing up at school and being a teacher. I, I, I always want to give the teachers a high five because every single day, no other group of people in this city is encountering all of the children, children who, who need stuff that they're not getting at home. It is teachers. Service and mission. You know, I, I mean, like, here's the thing, guys. If you don't know what to do with your life, please become a teacher. I cannot say this enough. There are people in our city, there are little children. Uh, I'll just tell you one story from Heather this week. Like Heather does this little reading recovery program at Taylor County High School. And by Thursday, the children she hangs out with, many of them smell like stale urine because they have 
no one at home taking care of them. And the only moment in their life that they have order, love, and care is when they are at school with a teacher and someone is watching over them and providing for them just the base, the, the base amounts of care. Like, I'll just tell you, if you don't know what to do, this is a word from the Holy Spirit. Become a teacher. Kids need it. Kids need it. But here's this other thing. Is there something in my life that I feel like I've given my yes to? And then also, look at that. Care for the physical body. I think it's interesting that Pete Scorsese puts care for the physical body under there, right? Yeah. I, I just want to tell you one little quick story. Uh, three weeks ago, Seth and Maggie and I, we took a quick trip to North Carolina. Uh, it was in that work play category. We had planned it. Soccer's over. We're going to the mountains, right? And I took a trip, and it was just me and Maggie and Seth, which that's a weird combo in my family. It was like, this is fun. I, the three of us don't normally go do things like this. And we're out riding mountain bikes. We're way in the mountains of North Carolina, and we had just come off of this massive mountain, and we're at the bottom. We're eating gummy bears because when you're giving that much physically, you need, you need just sugar. You do because your brain gets weird, you know. And I hear something coming down the mountain, and I realize it's a bike, and it's coming really fast. And then I hear another bike behind it. It's coming really fast. And then they slide right out in front of us at the bottom of the mountain. They slide out. And I look up and it's this old guy with this huge, like grizzled beard. I mean, just the most incredible epic beard. He has, an, he has like a $12,000 mountain bike. And then his wife is behind him. She's got like long gray hair and they're ripped. I mean, these people are, <laughs> I mean, they were hard. They were as hard as this table. They're like, and I said, I, and I was like, I mean, I, I'm not old. I'm getting old. You can tell. I think about it a lot, right? Like, first words out of my mouth, I'm like, who, who are you guys? <laughs> and we had a really funny interaction. And they're just two people from Portland, Oregon. And they're like, hey, we're just escaping the fires. The West is on fire. And, you know, we're... We have like jobs where we can just go do whatever we want. And I'm like, hey, I know this is an awkward question, but how old are you all? <laughs> Turns out they're in there. She's in her mid-50s. She's like 50, 65, and he was like 68. And guys, they were shredding. I was so encouraged. I was, I'm like, guys, we can do this. We could, like, fun doesn't have to stop when you hit 45. If you, if you take care of yourself, you could just keep going, you know? I've been thinking about that for three weeks. But how many of you know that if your physical body deteriorates, it might affect your ability to live out your service and mission, right? Yeah, yeah, rule of life. I will say yes to this one thing, and it's going to mean no to a bunch of other things. Okay, final category, Seth. Relationships. Relationships. Uh, does anybody in here have the goal, like as a part of their life, my goal is to have healthy relationships, like emotional health. I want to keep growing as a person. I never want to take on the, the attitude that I've become an expert, you know? I want to, I want to, I want to stay hungry and I want to keep growing and, and I want to become someone who's like, like an anchor in every situation, you know? I want to be somebody that people can count on in every place and every situation. How many of you know, how many of you know that you can be emotionally mature at work, but you can be a two-year-old at home? Or the, or, or the opposite, right? Like, so just because we get a little emotional health in one area with some people, it doesn't necessarily always translate to the other circles. And so this is why we need to keep growing. 
Maybe this is a part of your rule of life. I'm, I'm going to make it a part of my goal. What might that look? Well, it might look like maybe you, maybe you need to start journaling your emotions. Some of us are so disconnected from how we feel. Maybe you need to take like 15 minutes, three days a week just to write out, this is how I feel. This is what I'm feeling on the inside, just so you can start to connect what is going on. Uh, maybe, maybe you just need to read this book, you know? Uh, there's some other books. Uh, maybe, maybe if you're married, maybe you, you and your wife should just, why don't you just go to therapy for six months? And you're thinking, we're not even in trouble. So? So why don't you just go and, and have somebody like talk with you and, and go another level deeper? Or maybe even if you're not married, why not get a spiritual director or a therapist and talk about like some stuff? And I'll guarantee you this, there are people in this room who you've experienced real trauma in your life and it's yet unprocessed. If it's not processed, it's leaking somewhere. You know, maybe, maybe part of your rule of life is going to be, you know what, I'm, I'm going to commit to being a healthy person inside and outside. And so, you know, there was some stuff in my super jacked up family that we've never processed. So I'm, I've never done this, but I'm going to go, I'm going to go to therapy for a while and I'm just going to talk about it. You know, that might be the next step. Those are essential steps. This could be a part of our rule of life. Okay, moving on. Moving on. I want to talk to you about why just for another minute. Uh, here's why. Because all big projects require a plan. If you want to run a marathon, you better have a race plan. Um, my, my brother-in-law, Justin, he hoodwinked me two weeks ago, and he tricked me into signing up for a big race. In May, we're going to run a 20K trail run in Tennessee. It's, like, it's basically straight up mountains, right? I, I can run. I'm a, I can run. But I'm not a runner the way... Uncle Bubba's a runner. I'm definitely not a runner the way Joey's a runner. These people are gazelles. But here's what I did. As soon as I signed up for that race, I got on the internet and I downloaded a 20K trail run plan. It's nine and a half weeks of running before the race. But I'm going to do it. Why? Because I gave my yes to Justin and I gave my yes to that race. And so I need a plan so that I can get there on that day and not die. Literally, that's my, I'm not even planning on winning. I'm planning on not dying. If you want to be, be a doctor, there, there's a plan for that. And, and aren't you glad there's a plan for that? Aren't you glad when you go to the doctor that you're seeing someone who's been put through someone's plan? You know? I had to have a little procedure a few weeks ago and I met a couple doctors suddenly out of nowhere and they were so kind. And here's what I was loving the whole time. I was loving knowing that I was being cared for by people who had been through, been through things that were way harder than what they were about to do with me. They were, they were like not worried. They were like laughing and making jokes, you know, right up to the moment they put me under. I could hear them joking in the background as I was floating out of my body. <laughs> but I didn't have anxiety I didn't have anxiety because I knew these men and women had been put through real trials and I was happy for that, right? If you want to become a plumber or an electrician, you got to go to school. You have to become an apprentice and you have to pass a test. And aren't you glad when you moved into your house that the guy who hooked up all your wires had to pass a test? Yeah. It's why some folks love the military. There's a path. There's a plan. 
Anybody who's ever coached anything, you want to lose weight, you want to get healthy, you need a plan. Uh, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 14. Seth, can we put this up? Jesus says, don't begin until you count the cost for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Jesus is talking about becoming a disciple, right? He's like, you might not want to follow me until you realize what this is really going to be about. But what he's also saying is all of it requires a plan, doesn't it? Otherwise, you might only get the foundation done before you run out of money and everybody will laugh at you. (laughs) By the way, that's Jesus. If you want to be a good cook, uh, you got to follow the plan. Uh, uh, One time, I took an entire year and I roasted a chicken every single Monday night. I saw this guy named Thomas Keller. He's kind of a chefy chef. And uh, Thomas Keller said, the mark of any good cook is, can they roast a chicken? And I was like, challenge accepted, you know? <laughs> and then I roasted a chicken. And I'm like, I am terrible at this. This is, the dog won't even eat it. <laughs> and so I started watching YouTube videos with Thomas Keller and I learned how to trust a chicken and I learned how to like get the skin crispy and to dry it off and to get the oven hot. And I, I learned how to do it. And let me tell you right now, after I did this every single Monday night for a year, I know how to roast a chicken. There's a lot of things I cannot do. I can absolutely roast a chicken. Yeah, why? Because there's a plan and you follow the plan and you grow and you become something new. Here's the other part I think is important, writing it down. Like everybody here needs a rule of life. Consider these areas that we put up a moment ago. Consider these areas of life, but then write it down. And here's why writing it down matters. A writing it down helps us organize our thoughts. And when we can see something on paper, it allows us to see where the holes are, to see what we're missing. Like, imagine wanting to be like Jesus, but having no plan for engaging the scriptures. You know, you write it down, and then, and then maybe somebody comes over and looks at your plan and go, hey, there's no Bible in your plan. How are you going to be like Jesus? This is crazy, man. Yeah, and you go, oh, Bible. Yes. By the way, by the way, and if you, if you, if you want to plan for reading your Bible, just get one of the Bible apps. For real, just get a Bible app you know, and it'll, it'll just show up on your phone every single day and you can read it. And, and here's the other part, guys. Like what happens if you go from not reading the Bible ever to reading it four out of seven days, even if your goal is seven, you know what will change? Your life will change from engaging the scriptures four days a week. It will. Uh, there's another little app. Uh, how many of you use Pray As You Go? Pray As You Go. Please download Pray As You Go uh, and take a walk. Almost every single day, Here at the church, when I don't have a lunch meeting with people, I go to the Trace Pittman. You know the little Trace Pittman? It's literally the best thing in our city, that little walkway down by the creek. If I don't have a lunch meeting with someone, I go to the Trace Pittman, I listen to Pray As You Go, and I take a walk. I'm getting my steps. I'm listening to somebody talk to me about the heart of Jesus, and it changes who I am. Yes. Write it down. You can see the holes. Number two, this is why writing it down is important. Naming things concretizes them. What does that mean? It's not magic, but it moves things from goals to practices. Uh, How many of you know that feeling better is not a plan? It's like, I just want to feel better. Feeling better is not a plan. You have to move from these these just amorphous, uh, ethereal things that we all want, especially as it relates to feelings. We have to move outside of feelings, and we have to put feelings into actions and practices. 
The only thing that will change your life are actions and practices. Aspirational hopes for feelings will never change your life. It will actually create a worse version of you. So you have to go, what is it that I'm hoping for? Moving into concrete practices. Feeling, ble- fe- feeling better is not a plan. If you want to feel better, here's a great one. Uh, take a walk 20 minutes a day, seven days a week. There's something that's actionable and it will actually make you feel better, right? It forces us to be specific. And then uh, number three, why is writing it down important? What we name, we are responsible for. Y'all remember that weird thing in Genesis where God puts Adam in the garden and says, hey, Adam, I want you to name all the animals. Y'all remember that part? You're like, why is this in the Bible? You know, this is so weird. Uh, Here's why it's in the Bible. When God asked Adam to name the animals, what God is saying is you're responsible for. Isn't it true? Whatever you name, you're responsible for. You name the dog, what? You better feed it. When you have a baby, you name the baby and who's responsible for it? You are. When we, when we create a rule of life and write it down, who's responsible for it? Me and God. Me and God. We're responsible for it. Writing things down engages us at a deeper level. Okay, I want to zoom in very quickly here on two things, and then we'll wrap. Everybody good? I know it's a little bit long, but we just we got to get through some of this. Everybody good? Can we go 10 more minutes? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I want to drill in on two things that need to be a part of our rule of life that that maybe we don't think of, and I would encourage you to read this in the book. I want to talk to you just for a second about Sabbath. This is the most un-American thing, and it is the most essential thing. Now, as soon as I say Sabbath, some of us just see Ozzy Osbourne, right? (laughs) Crazy train. Um. But we need to have an imagination for Sabbath in our life. God initiated it. There's this rhythm in the cosmos of six days of activity and one day of rest. But if you want to grow up, we need to engage this six on one off thing even more. Six on one off, six on one off. And, and if you grew up like me, Sabbath mostly felt, felt like restriction. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was like, Sabbath mostly was like, don't do stuff. Anybody ever like heard somebody preach about the Sabbath or talk to you about Sabbath? And it's just like a long guilt trip and it's mostly telling you don't do things. But that's never, that was never God's intention for Sabbath. It was never like mow your grass and God's piss, you know? That's not the, it's like, it's like you mowed your grass on Sunday, God's going to burn your house down on Monday. (laughs) I'd say that's kind of how I grew up. It was like, dude, you know, but that's really, really not it. Instead, here's what Sabbath is about. Sabbath is about rest, delight, and pleasure. Like when God was resting, he wasn't just taking a break. He was actually giving space that he might enter into his creation and enjoy it. You know, do we have an imagination for Sabbath in our rule of life? Um, here's some things that I try to make a priority on my Sabbath, a nap and do something fun. So, so every single week I want the rhythm for, for my day off. I want it to be filled with basically three things. I want a nap. I want to do something fun. It's usually like riding my mountain bike. I want to do something fun 
And then I want to spend a few moments thinking about God and my life. And I want to think about my life in the biggest way possible, right? I want to just think, God, what do you think about this thing we're building together? And I want to just like either sit in my car or in my room or at my desk or something. And I want to just think. This is an amazing thing. If you will build some space in your life for naps and fun and contemplating your own existence with God, something happens to you. You have more energy for the next day. You're like, you know what? I'm ready to go back to do the thing we're called to do or whatever it is. Yeah. Enjoyment. I cannot stress that enough to you. And you might have to plan it. Okay, second thing I want to drill in on. Emotional health. Many of us have never made much of a plan to be emotionally healthy people. I certainly didn't. I didn't even think about this stuff until about four and a half years ago. I didn't even know I needed to think about this stuff until about four and a half years ago. And then I started discovering, wow, I have huge holes in my life and I need to think about them. And here's what I've discovered when it comes to my own emotional health. I can't process my life alone. Nobody in the New Testament heals themselves. Like, like, and it's still true. Like, no one can lay hands on themselves. You know? Nobody, nobody can undo the things that have been done to us alone. And if, if being an emotionally healthy, inwardly person is going to be a part of your rule of life, if you want to keep growing, not just spiritually, but you want to be somebody who can, can come into any situation, and sort of the catchphrase these days is just be a non-anxious presence, you know? No matter what's happening at work, no matter how riled up people are, no matter what's happening at Little League Baseball, no matter what's happening... Uh, with your kids, no matter what's happening at, at Thanksgiving dinner. We're about to have that. Y'all ready for that? Your uncle's going to say some wacky stuff. <laughs> he's literally, he's literally going to, he's literally going to bring up a conspiracy theory within 30 <laughs> seconds, right? Like how many of you want to be able to go to Thanksgiving dinner and right in the middle, right in the middle of some whacked out moment from your uncle, how many of you would like to be the non-anxious presence who brings something else? right? Yeah, he's just like, you know, somebody who's expansive and big and is making room for everybody at the table and brings joy and laughter and can like lighten the moment. Uh, by the way, uh, as anxiety goes up, so does seriousness. You, you, you know that systems are becoming anxious when they become really serious, you know? How many of you would like to be able to step into serious moments and instead of making it more serious, bring a little levity, you know? Oh, man, I want to be that kind of person. Yeah, uh, it'll have to be a part of your rule of life. If you give a yes to that, it'll have to be no to other things. And here's what I discovered in the last four years of doing some of this own work in my own life. Uh, you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Uh, probably every single person in this room needs a real spiritual friend in their life, a pastor, a therapist, or a spiritual director. And I just can't say enough for spiritual direction. 
It's the best 60 bucks you'll spend every single month. Every adult in this room needs someone who's listening with you to hear what God might be doing in your life. It's like an hour-long conversation, and here's what happens in spiritual direction. They just ask you questions. They're not even telling you what to do. They're just asking you questions and helping you notice the places where God is intersecting. Now, here's one of the things I've noticed after 20 years of doing ministry. Oftentimes, the more charismatic a person is, the more allergic to things like therapy and spiritual direction they are, and they're the very things they need the most. Uh, You will not go to a conference and get zapped into emotional health. Uh, No one can pray for you. Like Heidi Baker could pray for you, it will not make you a healthier person. You know, you could go get apostolized somewhere. You could go to every Christian conference, vineyard and otherwise, it will not make you better. In fact, it will oftentimes make you worse. You need someone who's helping you journey on this slow work of God, because this is where God is actually mostly active in our lives. Does this make sense? Yeah, so if this is part of your goal, I just want to say to you, do the brave thing and begin to reveal a part of your life to someone else. That's really what I wanted to tell you. Like the real mojo in my life has come from revealing things to other people. Okay, we've done a lot this morning, and some of us are like, this is great, I'm stoked. And some of us are feeling overwhelmed. You're like, this feels like a long assignment, Adam. (laughs) Oh my God, this is so much homework, you know? Uh, Here's what I want you to know if you're feeling overwhelmed. Good. Uh, And it doesn't have to be settled today. Creating a rule of life should probably take you six months. It should take you a good long while. In fact, why don't you hire a spiritual director and tell them, I would like to work the next six months on you helping me to create a rule of life. Something I'm going to live into for the next three years. And then after three years, let's reinvestigate it and let's change it again. Because I've probably become a different person and I'm, I'm, ex- I'm occupying different space in the world. Does that make sense? So if you're overwhelmed, actually get somebody to help you with it. And it doesn't have to happen overnight. Also, everything we've talked about this morning, I just want to give you permission. Change what feels claustrophobic. You know, if we put something up here and you're like, ah, (laughs) change it. (laughs) Just change it. Or if it's like, ah, like big, that's probably the thing you need to work on the most. Like just go there, (laughs) face it. Walk towards it, like whatever it is. The thing you, you're most allergic to, move to it. That will change you more than anything else. Okay, why do we need to do this? Here's why, church. Last thing. There are powerful forces working on us. I cannot shout this enough. There are powerful forces working on us. Algorithms know you better than you know you. Algorithms know me better than I know me. Uh, there is political partisanship. Uh, There's a disconnect from historic institutions that brought us here. We're living in a cultural moment where the algos know you better than you know you, where political partisanship is high, and we're also living in a moment where people distrust institutions, the very institutions that got us to this moment. And people are giving up on all kinds of things, not just like, not just things that you're kind of like hearing about in the news, but people are letting go of the very things that brought human beings to the moment that we're living in right now. And if we think that we can just make stuff up as we go along and get by and become like Jesus, we are desperately naive. Here's what I want to tell you. The robots are actually winning. The robots are winning. 
They're really, really winning. And if you want to live and be somebody who ends up being like Jesus, we will have to have some practices that disconnect us from the algos. We will have to have some practices that transcend political partisanship. We will have to have some practices. We'll have to have some yeses in our lives that keep us from letting go of the very things that brought us here. You know, like one of the things that's just in the water right now, all over, everywhere you go, is this idea that family is not a big deal anymore. Let go of it. Live life however you want. Get your sex from whoever you want, however you want. I want to tell you, it will ruin your life. You cannot do this. We have to have some practices that will ground us in some things that actually brought us here. The very, very things. And these are going to, they're going to take like a powerful plan in your life. Uh, You and I, we need plans for flourishing. I know I'm preaching now, but I've got to just preach for a minute. Like you want to flourish in your life? You need a plan for flourishing. You, you You need some way of organizing your life into flourishing. Like some of us in this room, we haven't thought about our careers with God. Can I tell you something? God would like you to flourish in your career. And that doesn't mean just like ending up a billionaire, but to actually see your heart come alive and change people. Like no one here is called to just go and and grind their face off for 60 years so that they can retire and die. Like that is not flourishing. Everybody here is called to have a job that makes them come alive and makes the community they're, they're a part of coming alive. And I wanna tell you, that doesn't mean it'll be great every day. Every job is eventually just a job, right? Every job is eventually hard work. But, but part of what it means to be human is you are called to flourish. And this means in your jobs, like God wants you to move towards creativity and expansion and blessing. He wants you to be blessed and he wants you to bless other people. And you will not be that on accident. It will take a plan. Some of us here need to get a new degree. Some of us here need to quit our job and quit like being harnessed by fear and working for somebody for $11 an hour when really what you need to do is go out and strike, on, strike it out on your own and do the brave thing because you've actually got real gifts and talents. You know, this is, this, and this will, take, this will take a plan and this will take courage. This will take bravery. And, and, and you're not going to become someone who's in a non-anxious presence unless you have a plan. Uh, like you, you will have to engage the scriptures. You'll have to engage prayer. You'll have to engage some tools emotionally. You'll have to learn how to have difficult discussions. You'll have to learn how to like diffuse tense moments with humor. You'll have to learn how to circle back with people and go, you know, I thought maybe you were saying this. Can I investigate that with you? You will not be a big Jesus-like, emotionally mature person without a plan. Why? Because the algos are working on you every single day. Fox News and CNN, it is working on you every single day. Uh, Not only that, but like just a generalized distrust of institutions, education, marriage, government. Every single thing that's in the water right now is, is ripping us from becoming the kind of people who actually got us here. There used to be this bumper sticker in a little in a little store here in town, it says, this country is being, being, being destroyed by people who could not have created it. That is so true. That is so true. We need a plan. We need a plan, not just to be better Americans, but to be like Jesus, to be like the Lord, to be like people who have been given his blessing, who were made in his image, who have been given the power of the spirit. And this cannot be entrusted to someone else. This is what God is entrusting to us, and we have to have something in our life that is worth saying yes to. 
We have to have something in our life that is worth saying yes to. This will not be easy. It will be somewhat difficult and it will require constraint. It will require the yes that's a million no's, you know? It will require the yes that is a no to this other thing that might even be good, but, but I'm going to say no to it because I said yes to this other thing. Does this make sense? Okay. Man, that was too long. This is about our discipleship and flourishing. This is about, this is about being the people that Jesus has called us to be, to grow the fruit of the Spirit, but then to, man, to give our gift to the world, to give our gift to the world. Okay, if you're on the band this morning, come on up. If you're in the room, uh, stand up this morning. We're going we're gonna to do the, the simplest thing that we can do to move towards being a disciple of Jesus. We're going to do what he said to do this morning. That's how we're going to end this thing. Here's what Jesus said to do in the Gospels. He said, remember me. By the way, most people don't leave God, they forget God. And so we're going to remember the Lord this morning, and we're going to remember the Lord with little wafers and little juices. So why don't you do this this morning? Why don't you open up your wafer? That Tic Tac is the Lord's body, y'all. Go ahead and take it. And as you eat it and as you crunch it this morning, I want you to think about Jesus Christ who was broken for you. And why don't you go ahead and open up the juice this morning. Let's drink this together. And as you drink that, I want you to think about Jesus Christ who was poured out for you, for your sins, that you might be forgiven and healed. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. Thank you.